0: Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. The Lord Jesus
1: Christ is our King. He tells us, that's right, that's wrong. It doesn't matter what it is in your eyes. It matters what he says. Now, notice how in verse 1, there's a certain relationship between two statements. Ruth, Ruth uh, 1.1. One, one. The days, it says here, the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. When the people did that which was right in their eyes. What happened? The rain, the rain stopped falling. The rain stopped falling. That land, all the land, is absolutely 100% dependent on water. And when the rain stops falling, the crops fail, and there's a famine. And just imagine how these people felt as they, they looked out at those crops. And those crops, those fields, used to be big producers. Produce, but they were abundant, big-time producing production there. And so much in the past, but now... Just nothing, and all because of one word rain. Rain. No rain, no crops. No rain, crops fail. And when God gave the Jewish people manna that sustained them during their 40 year wanderings in the desert, there's an interesting verb that's used to describe just how God gave them the manna. And that verb is found. In Exodus 16, 4, it says, Then said the Lord unto Moses, and this this is God telling him how he's going to give this manna. He says, Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or not. See, God said, I will rain. He didn't say, I will give. He said, I will rain bread from heaven. God called how he gave bread from heaven to keep the people alive, rain. Rain bread from heaven. And God wants us to see in rain a very important analogy. It comes from above, like from heaven. It brings life. This analogy of rain coming from heaven and giving life to man was the all-important analogy that enabled the understanding of one of the great I Ams of the Lord Jesus Christ when he said in John six thirty-one 31-35, our fathers did eat manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat then, this is what they said. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he. So you see who he said? The bread of God is he. He didn't say the bread of God is it. But the bread of God is a person The bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore, give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth in me shall never thirst. God describes rain as life sustaining, God describes rain as His gift to man that enables the land to give food to man. Now, continuing here, we read in verse one about a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah. That's what it says. This was a man of Bethlehem, Judah. the The word Bethlehem means the house of bread. There were two Bethlehems in the land of Israel. One was this in the land of Judah, and the other was more, much farther north in the land of Galilee. This is the Bethlehem. What we're talking about is south in the land of Judah. Bethlehem is a town that David came from. Bethlehem is the one referred to in Micah 5, 2, where it says, but thou, Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee, Shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old and from everlasting. This is the place where the Lord Jesus Christ, the bread of heaven, came, was born in the flesh, born in this place called the house of bread, in, the ta- in this town called the house of bread. And in Micah 5, 2, it's called Bethlehem Ephrata, and that's how it's referred to here, in Ruth 1-2, it talks about Ephratites of Bethlehem. Ephrata, Ephratites. Ephrata means fruitful. So it was called the house of bread in the land of fruitfulness. And when you consider the meaning of that place, what Ruth 1-1 is really referring to, it's a, it's a sad account. In Ruth 1.1, kind of, you could paraphrase it like this. There was a famine in the land, and a certain man from the house of bread went to sojourn in the country of Moab. In the house of bread from the land of fruitfulness, he went to sojourn in the country of Moab. We can just feel the sadness. Feel the desolation of it all. This family looks on the fields that used to be so, Ephrata, they used to be so fruitful. And they look at their town that used to be the the house of bread and so prosperous. And now all they just see is dry dust bowls because of sin. And they feel that if they stay there, they're going to become like the land dried up and die. So they move on and they leave the land that used to be fertile. It used to be productive. It used to be fruitful, Ephrata. And the house of bread has now become a house of death. And they feel they're forced to move on. And we can just imagine how hard it was for them working in that land. They were just working and everything seemed so futile and nothing was happening. And it was, they just put in more work and sweat and labor and nothing was coming. Just as it describes in Leviticus twenty six twenty, And your strength shall be spent in vain for your land shall not yield her increase. Neither shall the trees of the land yield their fruits. And they just feel that. And they feel like God is, is like against them and God has forsaken them and they feel like God has is, is done what he did in Psalm 107, 34, where it says, God changes a fruitful land into barrenness for the wickedness of them that dwell therein. Now, they left. Not everyone left the land. We don't know why they decided to leave. And we're told, though, he left, this family left, Eli Melech, and he wept and went to the country of Judah. He was a Jew. This man, Eli Melech, was a Jew. And he left his own Jewish people. And he came into Moab. Moab was on the eastern side of the Dead Sea. The the Moabites were the enemies of the Jewish people. He forsook, Eli Melech, forsook his Jewish homeland. He forsook his Jewish people. He went to go live with the enemies of the Jewish people. Moab was a land of idolatry. It was a shame for him. It was was a shame for him as a Jew to come into the land of Moab. We can just imagine how the Moabites looked at him and they either said it or they they thought it for sure. What are you doing in our land? You, you a Jew, your God is not one of our gods. Isn't your God great? Isn't he able to feed you? You got to come to the land of our gods for food. That's a tough thing. God had certain things to say about the Moabites. And you please turn to Jeremiah 48.11, because here's God's comment about Moab. He says in Jeremiah 48.11 Moab hath been at ease from his youth. He hath settled on his lees. He hath not been emptied from vessel to vessel. Neither hath he gone into captivity. Therefore, his taste Remained in him and his scent is not changed. See, Moab is described by God as having been at ease from his youth. The Hebrew word for the word at ease is the word Sha'an, and it has a meaning of a kind of of a peacefulness that comes from being in a place of safety or refuge. It has the meaning of just feeling secure and nothing can threaten me because I'm in a safe place. It has the meaning of, meaning of, of just feeling protected and that there's no reason to sweat it. There's no reason to worry. There's no reason for God. And Moab's condition of feeling no need for God is said to have afflicted him from his youth. Moab has always felt this way from his youth. Moab was a country that had no problems with other countries. They were not being threatened by their enemies. Moab felt protected. Moab felt safe. Moab felt secure. Moab was just, you might say, on easy street. Everything was going Moab's way. Moab had no troubles in life from his youth. And Moab is described as he had settled on his lees. The lees describe the sediment in the wine. During the winemaking process, the grapes, when they're crushed, they leave a sediment at the bottom of the vessels, and it's called the lees. And when the wine is, is left to sit, uh, on its leaves, when the lees settles down there with this grape sediment and it's not removed, the wine is setting, sitting, setting on its leaves, it's setting on its sediment. And this practice makes the wine have a very pungent flavor, a very strong taste. And when it says he had not been emptied from vessel to vessel, that's also referring to a winemaking process because in order for wine to not develop this very pungent, strong flavor or taste, it not only has to be removed from its lees or its sediment, but it has to be poured from one vessel to the other. So, both of these practices of leaving the wine on its lees or sediment and not pouring the wine from vessel to vessel causes the wine to develop this very pungent, strong taste. And that's the analogy that God is using to describe Moab. Notice how God says that Moab has not gone into captivity. Because Moab is not in any troubles with his neighbors, because life has gone really easy for Moab, and Moab has lived a life really without any troubles, because Moab is living life on easy street, like wine, Moab's taste has remained in him. That's a bad thing. Moab's taste was a bad taste. Like wine, Moab's scent was not changed. That's a bad thing. Moab's scent was a bad thing, bad smell. And what kind of a taste is our taste? What is our taste like when we are left to ourselves, in ourselves, with no troubles? What kind of a scent do we give off? What's our scent like? What do we smell like in ourselves? There are some verses that tell us the real truth about how we smell in ourselves and what we're really like King David put it really well in Psalms 14:3, Psalm 14:3, where he said, they are all inclusive. They are all gone aside, they are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no not one. In ourselves we are described by this verse as all together become filthy, stinking, filthy. In ourselves we smell filthy. Job told us in Job 42.6, Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Dust and ashes, the two descriptions of death. In ourselves, we're horrible and something to be abhorred. And we smell like death. We smell like dust and ashes. As the Lord Jesus Christ said from the cross, Thou hast brought me into the dust of death. The Lord Jesus Christ told us as he described the scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites what it's like for people to be in themselves when he said in Matthew twenty-three, twenty-seven, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye are like unto whited sepulchres, coffins, whited sepulchers which indeed appear beautiful outward but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. In ourselves, we are like the most beautiful white coffins which appear beautiful outward but inside full of stinking, rotting flesh and dead men's bones and all uncleanness. In ourselves, we smell like the stench of death. And Paul told us what this is like in Romans 7:17, 7, when he says, Now that is no more I that do it, but sin dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. Sin dwells in us, and sin dwells in ourselves. And in ourselves dwells no good thing. And in ourselves, because of sin, there's no good taste. And in ourselves, because of sin, there's no good smell. And when the Lord Jesus Christ looked at the cup of all of our sins that he was asked to drink, it it says what would happen to him, which he did in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That cup of all of our sins smelled so bad and tasted so bad because it was full of all that we are in ourselves. It was full of all of our sins. It smelled so bad. It tasted so bad that the Lord Jesus Christ said when he saw the cup in Matthew 26, 39, he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed saying, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup, pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as Thou wilt. We are in ourselves repulsive, and our sins have made our sin smell repulsive, and our sins have made our taste really bad. But by contrast, by contrast to all that, the taste of the Lord Jesus Christ is so different from our taste. The taste of the Lord Jesus Christ is like the taste of God. And it says in His Word, in Psalm 4, 34, 8, David said, "O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in Him." And Psalm 119, 103, "How sweet are Thy words unto my taste; yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth." And to cover our bad smell, to cover the bad taste, God invites us to be clothed with the Lord Jesus Christ, as He said in Romans 13:14, "But put ye on." the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. In 2 Chronicles six forty one, we read, Now therefore, arise, O Lord God, unto thy resting place, thou in the ark of thy strength. Let thy priests, O God, be clothed with salvation. That's the word Yeshua, Jesus. Let thy priests, O Lord God, be clothed with Yeshua, be clothed with salvation, be clothed with Jesus, and let thy saints rejoice in goodness. Because when we're covered, With the Lord Jesus Christ, we smell good. We smell good to God because he smells good, just like his garments are described in Psalm 45, 8. All thy garments smell of myrrh and aloes and cassia out of the ivory palaces where they have made thee glad. And when we're not walking according to our own inclinations. We're not walking according to our own sinful desires and not looking in ourselves for direction, for guidance, but we're walking in obedience to the Spirit of God. We smell so good to God that we're described in 2 Corinthians 2.15, for we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. And when we are putting down ourselves and denying ourselves and walking in obedience to the God's Spirit, God makes others to smell from us the sweet knowledge of God. As it says in 2 Corinthians 2.14, Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. Then we don't have the Moab condition of having our taste remain in us. And we don't have the Moab condition of having our scent or our smell not change. God forbid that we should be like Moab and have our taste remain in us. God forbid that we should be like Moab and have our scent not changed. And how does God make our taste not to remain in us? How does God make our scent or our smell to change? By not letting us be at ease from our youth. By allowing us not to have a peaceful life and no trouble. By not allowing us to settle. That word, by the way, in Jeremiah forty-eight eleven, for settling on the leaves, that word for settle is the Hebrew word shachat. And it means quietness or stillness or idleness, doing nothing. And God does not allow us to settle into an idle life with no trouble. All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, Paul said. And we don't like that. We say, Lord, can I just have a little settling? I mean, I'm just kind of like, I maybe enjoy just a little quiet, peaceful life. That maybe doesn't sound so bad. And God looks on and says, too much settling on your own sediment. Too much ease for you. Too much of your own taste remaining in you. I smell too much of that sinful smell. Not enough being emptied from vessel to vessel. And all of a sudden, we feel like we're being poured out of our peaceful life into another container, and our lives are turned upside down just when we were settling in for that final stretch we th- that we thought was going to be relaxing. The stroke comes, the cancer is diagnosed, the financial disaster happens, we get fired from a job, and we say, God, what are you doing? And God says, I'm emptying you from vessel to vessel. I'm stopping your taste from remaining in you. I'm changing your scent from yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't like it. For 19 years, Scantabody's lab has made the first response pregnancy test for another company. We have over 200 people working on that in that test in Tacati, Mexico. We have facilities, logistics, documentation, all kinds of systems in place for that production. And after 19 years under our development and manufacture, we saw that product move from number two slot to number one slot. We were given awards for being the number one supplier by the company for making the first response. After 19 years, we were pretty well settled in, and all of a sudden, we were told, "You're fired." The company had another supplier who could make it cheaper. And forget about the 15-month notice in the contract that it calls for. We'll give you two months. And overnight, we're upside down. Overnight, 28% of the business gone. Overnight, we're looking to have to lay off around 200 people. And the same day they told us that, we told our staff that, in Ducati, Mexico, the layoffs are going to happen. There was crying. Everyone was crying from the top to the bottom, to the from the upper management to the assemblers. Why? Because we're a close-knit community. Since their kids of the, the people were forty-two days old, they've been with us in our schools. We graduated them. We ate together, we picnicked together, and overnight the close-knit community of 19 years is just torn apart. And I said to God, What are you doing, God? And it was as if God said to me from Jeremiah 48:11, I'm emptying you from vessel to vessel. I'm stopping your taste from remaining in you. I'm changing your scent from yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm sure there's going to come a day when I'm going to say, I'm just so thrilled that we got fired so we could witness God's mighty power so we could see God's tender mercy and his love. I never realized how much he wanted to bless me over the wildest imaginations and draw me closer to him. If I had been left in the comfort of business holding steady and just growing a little bit here and there, you know, pride would have crept in. And secretly, I would have said those horrible words that are so bad taste and so bad smell. Those words are, look what I'd done. Look what I have done. But by being fired, he'll let me start to drown and to feel the feeling of being drowned. And I'm crying out to the Lord Jesus Christ, save me. It says in the Bible that God, was the, God the Lord of hosts was the God of Israel and the, a God to Israel. And I'm out there crying, oh God, the God to me, my God, save me not my abilities, but Christ only always living in me. And from Ruth 1.1, is it easier to go and sojourn in the country of Moab? Yes. Do we want to go and sojourn in the country of Moab? Sometimes. Is it good for us to go and sojourn in the country of Moab? No. Because God calls Moab something very astounding. In Psalm 108:9, he says, Moab is my wash pot. God calls Moab a garbage can. And from Ruth 1.1, when we are like the certain man from Bethlehem, Judah, when we are like the certain man from the house of bread from the land of fruitfulness, and when we go and sojourn in the country of Moab, a certain man of the house of bread from the land of fruitfulness went to go sojourn in the garbage can. Tragedy will meet us like it did for this man. Let's give ourselves to God and say to him the words of the hymn, have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way, Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will, while I am waiting, yielded and still. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you love us too much to leave us alone. Thank you for, Lord, the times when you pour us from vessel to vessel. Lord, so that we can be more like the Lord Jesus
0: Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries call us at 800-247-3051 Sunday Night Church is back Join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher Tom Cantor in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere.